Father, we come today, and um, it's, it's a little sad that we are done, but Lord, I pray, I, I, this feels like a heavy, heavy burden on me today, and so for some reason, I feel like I need to say it, remind each of us this is not the end, God. This is not the end, this is just the beginning. You have so much to show us about who you are. Um, Father, thank you for everything that you've shown us so far. You're not done by any stretch, and we pray that the Holy Spirit just comes into this room and is very, very palpable here today. Lord, we know how much you love us. We want to feel that. And Father, um, I pray that each woman walks out today knowing you as their Savior, but also feeling you as a presence in their world that can just be the overshadowing of everything. Thank you, Father, for your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Open your Bibles one last time. No, better not be the last time you open the Bibles to Hebrews. Although I do have to say, have y'all heard me say before that I had to get a new Bible for the study because my dog, Susan's dog and my dog both ate out Hebrews out of my Bible. So if you ever think that demons are not among us, there are forces working against us and they hate the book of Hebrews. All right. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. Um, Mary and Becky are probably cringing right now because when I sat down with them for leadership, I go, guys, I already know like what I'm going to teach today because like I had this story pop into my mind so godly and stuff. Mm. And it's exactly what God wanted me to say. Sorry, Heather. Um, I thought about this story as I was looking at Hebrews 13 and I was trying to figure out what in the world, her face, she is so nervous right now. Don't be nervous. What in the world is this author doing closing this letter? Which I crack up. Like, do you crack up? Because the very first part of it, he says, um, he, he talks about how he wrote this really short, brief letter, right? And I'm like going, what? I don't, I don't get that at all. It's a little long. Last 13 chapter letter I wrote. Um, but the thing that was cool about this, and I hope you got this too, I kept getting this sense of urgency from him. Like he was saying, these might be the last words I have to say to you, so listen up. Did you feel that? I thought about um, a story <laughs> a, couple, a couple years ago, some friends of mine, we all went to New York City, a girl's trip. So that was awesome, right? And it was right around Christmas, so we were doing Christmas shopping and Heather was there, and um, it was so fun because we were out, we were about to go to dinner one night, and it's all of us like, you know, um, mommies, you know, that we're going out, and we walk outside, and it was the weirdest thing. It was like all these people dressed up as Santa Claus, like in mobs. There was like mobs of Santa Clauses, weren't there? Some were a little more scantily clad than others, I'll be honest with you. They didn't all look quite like what we think of Santa Claus, but they're all running around, they're loud and they're boisterous and they're in these big groups. And so we were like, what on earth is happening? And so we, our little mommy group, you know, we walk up and we're like, hey guys, what y'all doing? Where y'all going? Why are you, why you dressed like that? And Santa Claus didn't wear things that short, little girl. Why are you wearing that? These little college girls, like we wanted to just put clothes on them, didn't we? We were like, oh honey, bad choices. Anyway, so they're just kind of, you know, and we get the feeling real quick that they're going out and they're partying and they're bar hopping. So they say, oh, yeah, it's this tradition in New York City. You may know about it. Don't nod if you do because then we'll think that you're the one that was dressing scantily clad Santa. But they do this once a year. There's like this Santa hop thing where they hop bars all night long. And so everywhere you go in the city, there's like mobs of Santa Clauses. 
as the evening progresses, as you can imagine, they get a little chippier. And so we're walking to these sweet little girls who are in this little group, and they're like college girls, and so we are mamas, right? And so we're just like, oh, oh, that's fun. Oh, why? Okay, you're with those boys? Okay, um, how are you going to get there? And then Heather just like owns it. She goes mama on them. She's like, how are you getting to the next place that you're going? And they're like, oh, we're going to take the subway. And they're kind of falling down. And Heather's like, um, well, uh, she's getting really worried about the well-being of these girls, right? And so all of a sudden they kind of start stumbling off. And I can see Heather at this point. She's like, I don't even know what else to do. And so she, I, I'm not kidding you. I can close my eyes and still see it. They're walking away. And Heather goes, hey, <laughs> make good choices, And I look at Heather, I'm like, eh, I don't think they're going to be making good choices tonight. They're going to have some regrets, and about 10 years they're going to come to Bible study, and they're going to remember that day. So you can see how this relates to Hebrews 13, right? Make good choices. That's what I feel that the author is saying. He loves them. Heather became a mama in that moment and loved those girls and wanted them to make good choices. And that's what he's telling these folks here. And he's saying, just because you have this faith, now you have to live it. Just because you've seen this great chapter of champions and we've talked about all those that have come before you, now it's your race to run. Make good choices. And so we look at chapter 13. And you will never look at it the same again, I promise you that. Um, but we're going to have to move through this quickly because we got special things that come on this day. And so you're going to have to bear with me and forgive me that I'm not going to go into depth on some of the things. But I'll tell you what, God has absolutely brought some things to the top that I feel like maybe we need to hear one last time. One last make good choices before we go. So let's take a look at chapter 13. I'm going to read to you out loud. Yeah, not in my head. That'd be weird. Uh, verses 1 through 6. So follow along with me if you would. He says this in the final chapter. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In the very first six verses, he gives us these imperatives it's like Mary and I looked up the synonyms. We're like, how do you explain what these four things are? They don't feel like commands, but they're crucial. They're critical. You must understand them. They're essential. They're not suggestions like, hey, so like, you know Jesus now, so like you can totally do whatever you want. You can wear scantily clad Santa Claus thing and do whatever. Or it's not that, is it? He is saying you must you must practice your faith, and here's how you do it. He gives four things, and you went through these in your homework, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but really, essentially, they broke out into four kind of main points, didn't they? They talked about hospitality. We talk about concern. We talk about the home. We talk about marriage. Boy, that's the crux of the home, right? And lastly, mater material things. Things. 
material things. You know, um, that word hospitality, it's interesting. I looked it up, and when you look up the word hospitality, you know what the focus is of hospitality? It's, it, the focus is on the guest. And, and when you look at the word entertain, the focus is on the host. I've seen that before, and, and it's always convicted me because I often, I had a gathering at my house this weekend celebrating my kid, and I, I really have to be confessing something here right now, not looking at my mom and my mother-in-law. I was frantically vacuuming up dog fur before everyone arrived, frantically, to the point where my kid, whose birthday it was, was looking at me like, this is going to be fun. <laughs> I made it not about him and not about the guests, did I? It was about how this was going to reflect on me. And so when he's talking about hospitality, he's talking about, are you focusing on the guests? Are you focusing on the guests? Because then he goes into that whole angels unaware thing, right? You know, that's a reference to um, some things that happened in the Bible to Abraham and Lot where they actually were entertaining angels and they didn't know it. Not to say that can't happen now, but think about that when you consider what he's saying to us. He's saying, I have told you about these great champions of faith. I have explained to you you're going to have to persevere and it's going to be really hard. And now I'm telling you, this is how you practice your faith. You show hospitality. You put yourself behind others and you invite people into your world. In 3 John 5 through 8, we're reminded that the early church, remember when we studied 3 John, like, Oh, I don't know, 100 years ago? No, it was just like a minute ago, guys. Do you remember what was happening at the time? That these, this early church, there was like missionaries and ministers and they were traveling and what did they rely on when they would come to a city where they'd have to share the gospel? What did they rely on? Other brothers and sisters in Christ, didn't they? There was not a Holiday Inn. There was not a Marriott. There was somebody's home. Hospitality. He goes on to say too, another way to practice our faith for the outside world to see is concern. And he talks about prison ministry especially. Isn't that interesting? I find that interesting. You know why? I, I, I do believe he's talking here about those in prison, but also that those who have been mistreated. Okay, so don't misunderstand it. Everybody go. I mean, you can totally go sign up for prison ministry. Don't get me wrong. But understand this. He's explaining, like, to me, what is that one area that I would run from? So quickly, if he called me to serve, that would I'd be afraid, and it would seem shameful, and it would seem dirty, and it would seem difficult. And I find that interesting that he uses that very example. You think about the people that have done the most atrocious crimes against children, against women, against all these things, and that's who he's saying, "Hey, minister to them." Show concern for them. I find that interesting, really, because that's not natural. I, I always love when I hear people that say they're called to things because I think that's beautiful. That's beautiful in theory. But oftentimes, forgive me, this is, this is just me speaking. Oftentimes, um, we have to just be obedient, don't we? Sometimes we have to just oblige the duty of it and not focus on the desire. Because I promise you this, my desire is not often to serve down in the trenches. My desire is to serve in ways that are cleaner and prettier and possibly get posted on Facebook more often and stuff. Just being honest. Concern for those in prison serving. How about this? How about asking yourself, who needs Jesus? Who needs meals? Who needs comfort? Who needs his word? Who needs my time? Not, who do I want 
to share a meal with? Who do I want to show comfort to? Who do I want to share my time with? I think that translates a little better for me. Hospitality, concern. And then he talks about home. Marriage. Not everyone in here is married. Not everyone in here will be married. But what we have to understand is when he's using this as an example, he's saying this idea, this beautiful picture of marriage is indicative of the love of Jesus and his people, the bride. It's bigger than just, you know, getting cool shoes and I'm not even going to say all that. And having a wedding. It's bigger than that. It's indicative of this relationship that God is playing out in front of us and saying, this is how much I love you. And so at the time, in this Hebrew history, in this time period, marriages were going awry because, remember, lots of false teaching was rising up because this is, um, a, this is second-generation Christians, right? So Jesus isn't walking around anymore, so now they're relying on who to be Jesus. Yeah, all the, all the disciples, all the people that are sharing the word of God, all these church leaders, it's just like now, like they're the ones that are being Jesus. And so it's real easy to kind of misinterpret and change things. And so there's all kinds of false doctrine that's rising up. And we see him talk about that real specifically in a minute. And so marriages are, are being threatened. Pray and protect marriages. If you're not in one, you know one. Pray over marriage. Protect the integrity of marriage. It's, there's, no, there's no words here that are confusing about that imperative. Amen? Very clear. He says four things that we need to do to practice our faith. And one of them is to take care of marriage. The fourth is this. He talks about material things. He talks about material things. This one really got me. I don't know about you guys, but you know, I, how many times have you quoted? I know I have a lot. Like, the Lord will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He just won't. And then I pray it all the time too. But I, I don't think I've ever fully seen, and that's quoted from Deuteronomy. Remember, he's quoting back from the Old Testament. But I've never actually paid attention to where it landed in Hebrews. Have you noticed that? It kind of blew my mind. It might have been just for me. You guys may not even care. Just take a nap. Talk amongst yourself. Verse 5, he says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, for me, you know, I confess way too much when I'm standing up here. The love of money thing, I'm like, oh, that's no problem. I don't really love money. It's fine. You think, oh, I'm not that guy. Like, that's my neighbor, <laughs> you know. But then you read the second part, right? Be content with what you have. Anybody? Be content with what you have. He goes on to say this. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. They're directly related. I never, ever, ever, ever saw that before. Did you? He's saying, guys, be content with what you have, with what I've given you. And guess what? I am never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. Hey, if you lose every bit of that, that house you have, if it's gone, that car, it's gone, that town, that career, if it's gone, then what? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. They are linked together in Hebrews. That struck me. I don't think it's an accident. I thought um, in the very beginning of the study, we talked about how the audience that was hearing the book of Hebrews was very bent on, okay, we've done this this way for a long time, so we'll just add Jesus in. We'll just like plus Jesus. Jesus plus this equals what? What he's saying here is this. You don't need anything. 
but Jesus. There's no Jesus plus equation that works. Jesus is greater than comfort, money, all the things that we get bound by. Chains of greed and envy and wanting and jealousy. We are bound by that stuff. That was convicting to me. Uh, I can walk around and say, oh, I'm not a lover of money, but I am definitely a lover of being, con- of being discontent with what I have. Amen? I do it. He says don't. Hospitality, concern, home, material things. He speaks to all those things. And, and listen, as you're sitting here listening to this, you may just be thinking about the food that's out there, but let me challenge you with something. And this is, um, this is hard, but let me just challenge you with this. There is nothing Nothing that shows the world what you believe about Jesus more than these things. You can post every Instagram meme with a Bible verse from Hebrews on your Instagram all day long, but nothing tells the world what you think about who Jesus Christ is more than these things. Nothing. We can fake it all we want, but the world sees right through it, don't they? And so he is very clear in the first six verses. He goes on. I have very little time. He goes on to say this. He goes on to say that you must remember your leaders. And he talks about in verses 7 through 9 that the leaders that we have, the ones that we followed, they, are, they, they should be revered. They should be prayed for. They should be obeyed. They should be submitted to. Right? But notice what he says in verse 8. And I'm going to close with this because, oh my goodness, I'm so far behind. And we knew this was going to happen, didn't we, Mary? Verse 7 says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the ways of their way of life and imitate their faith. But here's what's cool. Notice this verse sandwiched in. Jesus Christ is the same, what, yesterday, today. And forever. And then the next verse says this, verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it, is, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have been benefited. Those, What he's going into there is he's talking about false teachers are rising up. Don't be led astray. He's saying you've got these leaders that have come before you. Don't forget. And in the midst of it, he sandwiches in this verse 8. We have a timeless Christ. What has he been in our yesterday? What is he in our today? What will he be in our forever? Remember the leaders of the past. Don't be led away. And remember who Christ was, who he is, and who he will be. The final benediction goes something like this. And I'm going to read it. And we're going to pray. And then we're going to move on. But I want you to hear this as this benediction to you. To us. He says this in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The shepherd of the sheep will equip you with everything good. That's what he wants us to finish with. Do you trust him? What do you do with the shepherd of the sheep? What, do you, what are you doing with him? If you know him as your savior and you can honestly look at all of this and say, yeah, I'm good, I'm check, 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 I've got it all, I'm under control, let's go eat lunch. I don't think any of us are quite there, are we? So ask yourself this 
as you walk out of here and you close the book on Hebrews and you put it on the shelf, ask yourself, what are you going to do with this shepherd of the sheep? How are you going to live? What are you going to tell people about who he is by the way you live? I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you came and you did life here on earth in this nasty, sinful place. And even though, even though you died for us and you punished, the punishment was paid one time only. How fitting it is this week that we're talking about you and your walk to the cross. You did it for us. We're humbled by it. Lord, I pray this week that we are humbled by it even more. And Father, above all, we thank you Thank you. Thank you that you love us so much. You gave us your son to die. And then you gave us the Holy Spirit to live. In Jesus' name, amen.